Good morning, church. If you can make your way to your seats, that would be brilliant. Awesome. Very good. Well, this morning we are continuing a, a collection of talks that we started last week, um, of which we had um, some positive feedback and also some negative feedback as well, but there you go. Um, we, uh, we've, we've called it God, Gospel and Culture, Following Jesus in a Strange New World. And so if you uh, didn't get an opportunity to hear last week's conversation between myself and our senior pastor, Brennan Kelly, I encourage you to do that. You can jump onto civic.church and catch up. But we covered a whole range of topics, really, including the church being humiliated, Christians being humiliated. We talk about isogesis and exegesis, and everyone was really impressed of how smart I am. Um, we, covered, we covered a whole range of topics about trying to capture the original intent of Scripture. Um, this morning, I want to probably go off on a, on a different angle, and I am a little nervous because usually before we have these conversations, you and I get a bit of time just to not compare notes, but just have a bit of an idea of where we're going with this conversation, and we have not done that this week. So you have absolutely no idea where I want to go with this conversation and so this could be an absolute train wreck, or God could do something with it, and we'll see what happens. Let's hope for the latter. Um, but I do want to talk about um, reaching people in today's culture as a church and as Christians. Obviously, you know, if we're, if we're to quote Scripture and if we're to look at the Bible, it's, it's pretty clear that the original intent of Scripture there is that we have a mandate, we have a mission as the church and as Christians to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, And so when I think about that, sometimes I think the church in general can be a little bit like Wile E. Coyote from the Looney Tunes days. And what Wile E. Coyote wanted so much, he wanted so much to catch that roadrunner. That was his absolute desire. That was his absolute passion to capture that blue bird. That's what he wanted. But Often what would happen in those episodes through a series of dumb choices, that result always eluded him. And sometimes I think the church is a little bit like that. What we want so much, we want to see people come to Jesus. We want to see people experience this amazing grace that we often sing about and talk about and preach about. But usually as Christians and churches, we sometimes make really dumb choices. And so that eludes us. We, we don't see what is in God's heart. Would you agree with that? I do. I 100% agree with that. That's good. That's good. That's a good start to the conversation. And so what I, where I guess really want to talk uh, to start today's conversation is talking about, obviously, when we, when we often say, oh, we want to reach people, immediately say, okay, well, you know, we, what programs are we going to start as a church? Or, or what can we do in terms of evangelism? But really, I think the better place to start is talking about our theology. Because I believe theology brings methodology. And so we have an understanding of what we believe and that actually flows into what we do. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. You can often measure someone's beliefs and convictions by what they do. So what we do, often people will will look at a church like Civic and by what we do out in the community, that is an indication of what we hold dear in terms of our beliefs and convictions, particularly around how we see the Scriptures. So when we talk about reaching people in this strange new world, we've often used terms like, we want to be a relevant church. 
Can you, uh, would you be able to articulate when we say we want to be a relevant church and we want to be relevant in today's community? Because relevance is a term that gets chucked around in churches all the time. We want to be a relevant church. We're relevant. You know, the gospel is relevant. What is relevance? Is relevance the pastor that wears skinny jeans so he appeals to the younger people? Is it, is it the lights? Is it the music? What is relevance when it comes to reaching people in our world? Yeah, oftentimes I think relevance gets confused with contemporary. Um, and that's, that's another, that's a whole other deal there. But just wanting to reach people, of course, is 100%, I think. If you know Jesus Christ as your own personal saviour, then there is no way that you can not, there is no way that you can not want others to have that incredible experience with him, right? And so there's no doubt we should all have that desire to want to see how we can take the roadblocks out of the way for as many people in our spheres of influence to actually come to Jesus Christ. And so for me, in reaching our world, one of the greatest things is to make sure I'm not putting roadblocks in their way. Yep. Roadblocks like... What what would be an example of a roadblock? Prejudice. Right. Or theology. Right. Or... A whole range of doctrine which, which really is debatable anyway. So does that mean that we compromise and concede our theology in order to reach someone? Well, let's, let's go with the theology that Paul went with. I reckon that's a good place. He just said, I'll be all things to all men, yeah. that I might see some come to Jesus Christ. In other words, he was willing to put aside all of the, whatever he in himself had thought about anybody, including, you know, their colour, their race, or their religion, or any of that kind of stuff, he just said, what I'm going to do is choose to see people that Jesus Christ died for and gave his life for just like he did for me. The greatest, the, the, the best message you'll ever preach is your life message. Right. And so if you're a person who's simply living out a life that is 100% uh, grounded in the unconditional, incredible love of Jesus Christ, and you know what it means to live by the grace of Jesus, and you are living out that life, yeah. I think you're preaching your best message. Yeah. People will uh, they'll, uh, people will lean into that, yeah. um, but they're not going to lean into a, a person who's getting around with... In a, in, in a sense of you, if you don't actually come to Jesus, then you're going to go to hell and I don't want you to go to hell, so why don't you listen to what I've got to say and sit down and let's talk about the Bible. From what I can tell or from what I can, I guess, arrive at, society to me or culture to me is it's very confused at the moment and probably one of the things that I, maybe not pinpoint, but I th- one of the conclusions that I've drawn is there seems to be a real sense of loss of identity in our world today. And so, you know, people are asking, Christians and non-Christians for that matter, people are asking, what tribe do I belong to? Where do, where do I fit? And you can often see this even in marketing and branding. You know, no longer is it talking about the flavour of the soft drink. It's if you drink this soft drink, you belong to us as a brand. You belong to us as a, as, as a tribe. And I want to, if I can, um, just quote a scripture. I think is always a, a good place to do that on a Sunday morning at church. Um, Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. We don't have it up on the screens, but um, it says this. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family. This is talking about Israel. And other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. 
He said, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. So they're coming out of Israel, out of Judah, and they're coming into Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, or some translations say delicacies from the king's kitchen. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. And so here we have the emerging future leaders, the next generation we might call that, coming out of Israel, and Babylon has... Has, set, has a plan, has a strategy. And what we've actually got here in scriptures is somewhat of a spiritual portrayal that I believe is happening in our world today. Well, the world is taking some of the best, brightest next generation and there seems to be a re-education of how they think about certain issues. And so this is where we see movements like uh, woke. This is where we see deconstruction. This is where we see cancel culture because... If we can use the Babylonian culture, and that word Babylon actually means fragmented and confused. That's the actual definition of what Babylon... So we've almost got a university of Babylon re-educating the next generation. And I guess as, as I see that as a young pastor, as a young leader, but more importantly as a Christian, I see that as, okay, what is, what is the church's role and what is my role when I see this happening in our world today where young minds and, and even older minds, I guess, are being re-educated in a new way of thinking that we've probably never seen before. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the scripture to us, right? And so I 100% agree with you. I totally agree with the... the, the, I think it's appropriate for me to to mention that a, a couple of weeks ago I was just in what I call conversational prayer, so I'm often... I'm not necessarily in a, 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 a prayer-like manner of, you know, standing before God and, and petitioning him or, or those kind of things. I'm actually a whole lot more in conversation with him. Yeah. And so in conversation with him, there had been a few things that I'd noticed and seen and, and heard happening in the world. And I, and I did say to him, Father, I can't help but think things are getting worse, aren't they? Mm. And uh, he turned to me, and, well, he spoke to me, and he just simply said, Brennan, um, the, the, basically the evil that you are seeing in the world today has always been there, mm. but today it is less restrained. Right. The minute that he said that, my heart went to the scriptures because the scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit is the restrainer. Yes. And I don't know that we all fully appreciate just what the work of the Holy Spirit is. We might think we know what's the work of the Holy Spirit inside our hearts and in the church, but I don't know that we fully appreciate the work of the Holy Spirit outside the church mm. because the Bible says that he is at work as much as he is at work within us and in the church, outside the church, to convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. Yeah. The Bible says that he is actually holding back the evil in the world, if yeah. I have to use that word. Um, and so that confusion you're talking about, he's been holding that back. Yeah. But it's less restrained now because he is known as the restrainer in scriptures. Yeah. And the Bible says that there comes a day when, the whole, when God says, I'm taking the Holy Spirit, the restrainer, out of the world... And 
And when, when that happens, sadly, we're going to see a whole lot more confusion yeah. than we've ever seen. We believe that when God takes the Holy Spirit out of the earth, the church goes with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so we believe that that is a time of tribulation, and this will be a time on earth, which Jesus talked about, which is not going to be a fun time. Yeah. All that to say to you, what do we do as pastors or even as uh, uh, Christians in a world where we're seeing that it's being less and less restrained? Yeah. Um, do not allow ourselves to lose hope. We have got to be people that continue to bring some understanding around hope and be the kind of people that, because we all know where hope comes from. It comes mm. from the revelation, knowledge, and the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Yeah. And so without going out and preaching that, but still being a person when others meet me, and they see us as people that have got a positivity about them. We have an we are we have a hope. Um, we're not allowed. We don't allow ourselves to get so downcast because of what is happening in the world today. Um, we are still able to be that light that we're called to be in the earth today. And to be honest, I just think, you know, it sounds a bit cliche, but the darker the room, the brighter the light. If if we continue, even if we're not shining any brighter than we are right now, if things are going to get more and more dark, we ought to be shining more and more brightly within our world. Two schools of thought. King Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, and really that's a book about humanity, he said there's nothing new under the sun. And so whilst I think what we are seeing in our current society today is possibly new to us, it's not new to God. Um, there's a scripture, obviously, where Jesus leads his disciples uh, to a place called Caesarea of Philippi. And it's at that point, it's at that place where he actually says, upon this rock, I'll build my church. But if you actually understand the geographical location of where Jesus has that conversation, so he doesn't actually go into the city, he stays out, outside the city, and he, the Bible says that he goes through the villages, and he gets to uh, this uh, point outside the city. And in that particular city of Caesarea of Philippi, it's a, it's a pagan city. It's a, it's a trade city. Um, and one of the locations at that city is a rock face where uh, people uh, carve in their gods that they worship. And one of the gods that they actually worship is Pan, which is a goat god. And it's where the, uh, where the word pandemonium comes from because what would happen is when they would have their a pagan rituals, there would be these wild sex orgies out in the open. And so we don't know the exact location of where Jesus said this, but I have a theory that potentially Jesus was outside the city and possibly he was facing this rock face. And the other thing to consider is this rock face had a number of caves. And one of the caves that was actually called the Gates of Hades. And so they would say that the gods would go down in there in the winter and in the springtime they would come up. This is what the pagans would believe. And so Jesus is in this geographical location and it's at that point that he has that conversation with his disciples. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. And, you know, you often talk about studying the scriptures. It's when you start to understand the geographical location of where Jesus had these conversations, you're like, man, this is intense. But what I take away from that is here we have the, these pagan rituals that are out in the open 
public rituals, very much like what we're seeing right now in 2023. And I think as Christians and the church, when we see that, we panic, we get fearful, and we're like, what is Jesus doing? Why isn't God stopping this? And yet Jesus said, upon this rock, I would, he, he was not talking about that rock. He was obviously, there's a different schools of thought about what that rock is. Many people believe it was the revelation that Peter had, and we don't have time to talk about that. But here's what I take away from that. We, this was an obnoxious, dark way of doing things, and yet Jesus was not intimidated by it. And Jesus was not fearful of it. And Jesus clearly said to his disciples, the gates of Hades will not prevail. And so like you say... We got hope. We got hope. We have hope, and we need to be those that um, personify hope. We, uh, because it's no longer I who lives, but Christ that lives in me. Yeah. And so the same Christ that stood at, those, at that cave, at that place, that spoke those words, by the Holy Spirit, he lives in me. Yeah. And so we live out of that. Mind you, you come with that sense of, Assurance and confidence of who you are in Jesus, mm. and you don't, it, you won't, you won't be affected by all of this kind of stuff. Mm. But if you, if you, if you really feel like God's not doing anything, well, that's you really don't have a clear understanding of just what the Holy Spirit's actually doing. Yeah, uh, we we thinking things are pretty; they're getting worse. Well, uh, they are getting worse, but. They'll be a whole lot worse, mm. and and the the, the, cons- the thing that we need to be aware of is how much the Holy Spirit is in the world today, holding back the confusion and the and the darkness and the evil. Yeah. Um, when Jesus, you know, it's an interesting point, Jared, because at that point it says that there'll become a time when God says, "I'm going to remove the restrainer out of the world." Um, at that point, we might think that God's had enough of man's depravity. Mm. But you see, man's depravity is of no surprise to God. He actually says in Romans chapter 1 that he surrendered man up, surrendered us up. He surrendered mankind up to their depravity right. because he said, I can't do anything more with them. Yeah. It's, this is of no surprise to him. Having said that, he didn't just leave man to wallow in their depravity and in their debased minds, he actually gave them a rescue plan, which we know is in Jesus Christ. Yep. And so that's his grace towards depravity. And so here's the thing. When will God take the Holy Spirit out of the earth? When he's had enough of man's depravity? No. Mm. He'll never, it'll never be, he, he'll never have, a, it'll never get to him too much. But what will happen is he will say, enough grace. Yeah. Enough grace. And when we understand how God... See, it's, it's God's grace towards mankind right now in giving the Holy Spirit to be the restrainer. It's God's grace towards a depraved world. He is always working to do whatever he can to give mankind every opportunity to, to accept his rescue plan. Yeah. But sadly, there may come a day, and there will come a day, when man will just blatantly uh, reject everything to do with God. Yeah. Um, you know, just recently, and I'd encourage every one of you, if you can get a hold of a book called AI, Man and God. 
written by a guy called John Lennox, L-E-N-N-O-X. He is an emeritus uh, professor at Oxford in uh, maths, and he was very much instrumental in getting the whole AI, artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence together, Um, and yet he is a very strong Christian. And I won't get into it now, we don't have the time, but I would so love to talk about how he encourages us as Christians to see that with AI and all the things that we're now seeing, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be using our telephones. Is Siri the Antichrist? But to be be honest, he, he, he says our phones are literally the... Um, we're, we're, we're telling them everything they possibly want to know about yeah. us and we're doing it freely yeah. and we have no understanding in his mind he's, he was interviewed by John Anderson the, yep. one of our former uh, Deputy Prime Ministers yep. uh, incredible, uh, incredible interview uh, you get it on YouTube if you want but he says this he said look honestly I think as much as this was meant to good, all this technology, all that we have, it's meant for good. Um, the dark side, the dark side is probably going to win because put into the hands of man, yeah. it's going to... But it, that, that speaks to the depravity of humanity, this, whatever, whatever we touch. And, and so he goes on to say that man actually continues to worship himself, mm. which is all part of this, yeah. and man gets to the place of thinking that he is all-knowing yeah. and actually starts to believe he is... Which we don't is no surprise to us, but he says there's a word called Deo, which means God, and there's a new terminology is getting around where man is actually starting to talk about himself as Deo, as God, yeah. and is and is working towards the time when they're going to be. They genuinely believe this, but they're working towards a time when they will be able to uh, create a man or man mm. uh, that will live forever. And uh, and but but you, so you listen to all of this and you hear the kind those guys and you start to think, man, we don't even have a clue as as about how far this stuff is going. Yeah. Yet he says, as a Christian, we need to remember that our God has already done all of this. Our God has become a man, yeah. did die for us, and now offers us eternal life. Mm. But the point of the matter is, man is so bent now on their own wisdom and intelligence and the way that they can worship themselves and do all the amazing things. And, and to be honest, we're, we're actually, we may not realise it, we're not doing it intentionally, but we are actually helping them to do it. Mm. We, we, we mightn't think we are, but we are, by, because we want to use the technology and that's, that's all where, good. Do you think that's where the church, we talked last week about how our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities. Yes. Do you think sometimes that's where the church, you know, we... Obviously, there is a darkness in the world and we often like to attach names and faces to that, as in people, mm. but that's not actually our struggle. No, no, no. Um, and so we say, well, that, you know, that person's of the devil or, or whatever it happens to be, but that's not actually... The Bible says that's not your struggle. That's as right. As in our struggle is obviously against darkness that's and right. evil and the devil. That's right. Uh, well, not so much because he is a defeated foe, but you understand what I'm saying? 100%. I think that's where we demonize people when that's not actually God's heart. No, and, and, the, and the issue is as man continues to believe that he is God, mm. that came out of Lucifer's heart. Mm. Mm. Now, I don't know how, how far you want me to go down that track. Well, we're there now, so, but, you know. 
But you know, Lucifer, of course, was was in heaven with God, yeah. and was it was put to him by God. Do you think you can be me? Do you think you can be God? And uh, by the way, angels do not get choice. But in that case, Lucifer was given one choice. Mm. After being given all, every possible bit of information he could possibly have to make the right choice, so God had given him everything he could to say, mate, you know, I'm just going to ask you, do you you honestly think you can be me? Mm. Like, you you can't believe that, can you? And when Lucifer turned and basically said, actually, I do think I can be, so we'll leave that little part there. There's yeah. so much more to that. But when that happened, that's exactly now Lucifer, now Satan's agenda in the world to help man think that he could be exactly God. As Lucifer still today, Satan still today believes that. Yeah. He still today believes that he will be God. Yeah. And he is outworking his agenda through the depravity of mankind. I didn't think we'd be talking about devils and angels this morning, but there we are. In the short time that we do have, I do want to talk about preaching of the gospel and our language around that. Um, You know, we talk about reaching people and we talk about re-education of people's minds. There seems to be that there has been a full overhaul of our English language of words that we cannot use. And so, you know, you'll hear things like people get triggered by that word and you need to be sensitive when you use certain words. Um, and to be honest, I think any time that I've ever done any public speaking, probably outside of the church, but also inside the church, sometimes it feels like a linguistic minefield of what you can and cannot say because of, I guess, the agenda with political correctness. I guess when we look at the gospel, there are certain elements that are offensive when you read the Bible and that it offends the human soul. Uh, It talks about the human heart is deceitful. And so when we start wanting to preach the truth, as well as grace, but preach the truth, there would be people that would say, that's hate speech. You're a bigot and you can't say that. And I know, I think it was last year, there was a bill that was going through federal parliament that we made a public statement on about our freedom of speech, but I wonder whether you could just speak into that just in the few short moments that we have about how do we, because I think sometimes, you know, when I look at possibly, and again, this is stereotyping and this is probably politically incorrect, but sometimes the older generation say, well, this is what we always used to say, and so people just need to get over it, and so, you know, you can, I, and I know I've done it plenty of times where I've been preaching and I might make a joke about vegans, or I might make a joke about, you know, women love shopping and boys love cars. And all of, all of a sudden I've probably lost half the room because I've, I've made a stereotypical statement and I've triggered, you know, and they've switched off and they've missed what maybe God wanted to say to them in that moment. So I wonder how do we go about our language to ensure that we still capture the original intent of the scriptures? But, I mean, my heart is to never offend someone, but I know that probably, I mean, I've probably offended someone already today. Probably multiple people. But that wasn't my heart. But how do we go about that as Christians, even in a leadership sense, but also just in our everyday conversation? Oh, you're a Christian. So you believe that God hates a certain group of people or whatever it is. How do we navigate that? 
with difficulty, to be honest. It's, it, 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 is go- it is going to get more and more difficult for us. And so the, the reality is that if we want to get the message through, which we're both agreed on, the message is a simple message, right? Yeah. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Yeah. Then let's just do everything we can to make sure that that's what we are preaching or, or speaking. Let's not get caught up into as best we can into whether what you know the hearts are deceitful and all this. Just leave that alone. Let's just stick with Jesus Christ and Him crucified if we can. So the point I'm trying to make is, um, I think it's going to be more and more difficult for us because we will we will be offensive to people in this more and more today in this world if we're not willing to to ourselves begin to go, well, look, that's good. if I'm going to speak about that stuff or I've got those kind of things that I'd love to say, I'm not going to say it because that's going to be a roadblock to the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. So I will then not speak like that and yeah. I will not use that kind of terminology and I won't... You, you, you can't talk about, well, we always used to... look. <laughs> Mate, that is one of the biggest roadblocks. We always used to do it, and that was what they ended up doing. Look, honestly, don't do that anymore. Please don't do that anymore. Start to understand that God has, God has called this generation, which we know every single one of us living here on the earth at one time, mm. called us to, to, as this, at this, has called us as this generation to serve this world or to do what we can to reconcile this world to the Lord Jesus Christ. And however that's going to be, don't look to the past. Keep looking to the future on how might he be doing that today. I believe that you can't reach someone that you're not talking to. And what I mean by that is I think sometimes when we do use insensitive language, it burns bridges with people and possibly people in our spheres of influence, whether it be at schools, workplace, universities, family, friends. Family's often a difficult one. But you can't reach someone that you're not talking to. And so sometimes you, you do have to use discernment with what kind of words you use. And people say, oh, you're watering down the gospel, Jared. You, you know, you're conceding, you're compromising. It's probably echoing what you said earlier today. Paul said, I become all things to all men that I might win some. If I have to use certain words to be able to remain in community and conversation with someone that I'm trying to you know, just value and uh, love, if I use that language, it burns bridges and they don't even care what I've got to say. They don't even care what's in my heart for them. And so sometimes it's, it's, that, it's that delicate, difficult process that you have to go on where, yeah, it can feel like a minefield at times, but it's, it's all for his glory and it's all for his sake and it's all for the cause. And, and- um, and keep seeing the person in front of you. Yeah. Not seeing their behaviour or their choices or the lifestyle. Yeah. Just keep seeing the person, right? Yeah. Because that, at the end of the day, um, Christ, when he lived on the on, on this earth, I, I challenge anyone have a just read your scriptures. He didn't seem to have any concern as to who he talked to or who he wasn't supposed to talk to or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. In fact, his disciples were having a go at him and saying, are you sure you could speak to that Samaritan yeah, that's woman? Right. Um, and he's like, man, because he? he didn't see any of the stuff. He mm. saw a person yeah. and he knew what his mission was and he knew more than anything that he, would wanted, he wanted her to 
have an opportunity to come to the realization of the truth. Yeah. And you know, I think if that's all we do, if that's, and that is my heart, and I yeah. believe that's your heart. My heart's got. I'm not like we said before. We're not here to fight for anything. We don't have to fight for anything. We we will stand for what the, the on our convictions, but at the end of the day, I'm I'm more interested in in his agenda, and his agenda is simple. Mm. Reconciling the world to him to God to, through Jesus Christ. Yeah, let's do whatever we can to make it as easy as we can for people in a very confused world to actually go. I think that I think you've got something to say. I I, I want to hear what you've got to say. Yeah, I want to I want to dialogue with you. Um, I think I think if we've got people wanting to lean into us, not lean out from us, mm. we have been. That's when you know you, you're doing okay. Yeah, people are actually wanting to be around you. They want to be with you. They want to be in your company. They're happy to lean into you. Um, how, however, that has to be. Although both of us, no one is saying that we become. The, more like the world. The Bible mm. simply says that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Meaning, I don't have that same spirit or that same yeah. heart. Right. I don't. I don't have that agenda. I don't think like that. Yep. I have a completely different worldview, and I live out of that completely different worldview. And I'm simply here to present that to you in the in the easiest possible way I can. Yeah. Um, and I keep coming back to grace. Grace and grace, and and you know, I, I, when they start, when people actually are, when the Holy Spirit's been able to do His job, see, we can't do the Holy Spirit's job for Him. His job is to convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's Correct. not my job. Yeah, um, we're trying to do His job. He said to me, "Would you just show them grace, Brendan, and then do it more, and let me deal with the truth, and let me deal with the sin and the righteousness and the judgment stuff." How hard is that? Yeah, yeah. We might put a full stop in this conversation. And, I mean, our heart over the last two weeks was to start a conversation. and But, you know, the intention is possibly to keep it going throughout this year and beyond um, as more issues arise, which no doubt they will in our culture and society. Um, but it is always a privilege and an honour, mate, to be able to talk to you just about how you see things from a senior pastor's perspective as a leader of a church leading in a strange new world and, and hopefully as you as individuals and as with your families it's helped you maybe help frame some language about how we do navigate um, this, this strange new world that we all live in. So thanks, mate, and uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you. Um, candid with you, Jared has a far better handle <laughs> on the understandings around the kind of world that we are saying we want to reach. I feel I'm very privileged to have Jared in my life and all of the pastoral team that I have with me that are able to help me understand a lot more about how we as a church can accomplish the mission that we know we're called to, seeing this world reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'd so encourage every single one of you, and, and particularly the younger ones, keep talking amongst one another, keep the dialogue going, talk to any of our pastors, but talk amongst yourselves. And I'm, I'm 
you know, I am just so very um, encouraged by our, our, our younger people and the, the generations coming through that are willing to be able to say, look, it's going to be different and there are going to be different giants. See, the giants that I had to face, and I would hope that before it's my time's up, I've, I've defeated all those giants so that the next generation doesn't have to deal with the, the giants that they're going to have plus the giants we should have dealt with. But I, I know you're going to have different giants, but I, I know you're going to be well-equipped and, and I'm, I just want to play my part, the little bit I can. Um, Margaret and I, um, you know, have given our lives to be able to be in this place. And, and yet we didn't make any sacrifice. It, it's been an absolute joy. And it continues to be a privilege and a joy to have whatever part we can have in empowering the church and, the, and particularly the generations that are coming through saying, come on, you can climb up on the top of these shoulders that you can do even more. You, you've got a great, you, you've got, your Father in Heaven has well equipped you for whatever the world's got coming. Seriously, that AI, man and God, uh, that little interview, you walked, I walked away from that interview with um, John uh, Anderson feeling, man, we're on the ring, we, we know we're on the winning side. And, uh, and but when you hear this, this, professor who is a Christian who knows a lot more than we do about how dark things really are and the potential of what's really possibly coming and yet the way he finishes up you walk away going we're on the winning side in the midst of it all so we're not we're not in any way concerned we're using wisdom I love this idea of the of Daniel we do need to be the Daniels in our, in our world. Would you agree? Are you there? We need to be those Daniels. Those using wisdom. Understanding what's, coming, what's, what's ahead of us and how do we navigate that. I believe that God is calling us and has called us as a church, but has called each and every one of us to seek Him and work out, Father, how can I be a Daniel in my sphere of influence in my world. Father, in Jesus' name, the name that is above every name, King of kings, Lord of lords, our risen saviour, our soon coming king, we simply come in the name of Jesus and we thank you, Father, that we're part of your bride, we're part of your body, And we thank you that you have entrusted us with the ministry of reconciliation in a broken, hurting world that you love and that you died for. Help us, Father, to continue to outwork all that you're working into our lives by the Holy Spirit. Father, may we always look to prioritising our lives around the things that matter most to you and not the things that seem to matter most to us. Let us only ever see our world the way you see our world. Let us be those people, Jesus, that shine brightly for you. All for your glory.
you alone are worthy. And every heart said, Amen. Amen. God so bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day.